We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's near Rotowire headquarters over in Madison, Wisconsin. Partner, we have a little over three weeks left in the NHL's regular season, and we really haven't had a chance to take a look at the races in each of the divisions, and I want to do that with you now. Let's begin that look with uh, observations for the division that uh, is furthest from both of us, I guess, and that's the Honda West Division, where Vegas and Colorado rule a roost, but a surprise entry in third place that fooled both of us a little bit in Minnesota. And uh, what do you think about the rest of the division and, and the order so far? Well, I think obviously, uh, you know, Minnesota being uh, where they are is is a bit of a surprise. You know, they're really only one point back from from Colorado and and could definitely challenge for second. Um, looks like Vegas might be running away a little bit with it for for first place, but everybody is still kind of within that range. What's surprising, I think, to me more than Minnesota here though, is the fact that St. Louis. Um, you know, has struggled so much. And I mean, th- is there ever a drop off in this? You know, you got the first three. They've already clinched playoff spots, um, Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota. And then there's, you know, it looks like a 17-point gap between Minnesota and St. Louis. Uh, They're in a dogfight with Arizona. You know, technically San Jose could maybe be in the mix there too. But, um, yeah, the the drop-off for St. Louis this year, I think, is what surprised me most in in the West. Yeah, I think that's a team, though, that's been to the dance enough times that they know that they don't don't have to really put their foot down down on the pedal. 
uh, all the way down yet. And they're going to coast into the playoffs, get healthier, and uh, and uh, be ready to to make noise in the postseason. But I do agree with you. It's Minnesota, the surprise entry. Uh, I got the California teams uh, on the outside looking in in my preseason picks, and that looks like a lock as they're both they're all holding down six seven and eight spots so i got that one right and arizona finished right about where we thought they would on the fringe of contention they still are and could make some noise but they got to get on a hot streak right away because st louis does have those three games in hand aj over in the central division that's the uh, the one that features carolina florida and tampa at the top right now we have to admit a little bit of surprise that Tampa is not running away with this division, and they may not even win this division, AJ, but that's because Carolina and Florida, we figured they'd be pretty good teams here. The surprise for me is Dallas falling off as much as they did. They were the Stanley Cup finalists last year, but uh, they've been ravaged by injury, and that's a big reason why they may be on the outside looking in when the postseason does start. So your observations there. Well, I thought it was interesting, you know, looking back, we had the exact same top four uh, in this division. In fact, I, I think uh, the only changes we had were in the bottom uh, seven and eight. I, I think I gave Detroit a little bit more credit, but um, you know, we all kind of agreed or both agreed rather, you know, Tampa, Dallas, Carolina, and Columbus. Uh, Columbus has been abysmal, um, you know, and, and we've talked about whether or not they're going to be back with John Tortorello. Um, Florida has been way better than advertised. They're, they're getting, uh, net mining that, that they wanted to. And yeah, you know what? Tampa is probably the most dangerous team in there. The last thing you would want if you're Carolina right now is to have Nashville go on a run here at the end of the season and, and track them down and have Tampa fall into fourth place. I don't think it'll happen. Uh, there's just not enough games left in a, a 10 point gap there, but uh, it, it certainly is uh, not looking good for Florida. They're, they're going to want to try and challenge Carolina for that number one spot to avoid getting a first-round matchup with the Lightning, I think. And then we look at the division that you are following more closely, the Mass Mutual East Division, and the biggest surprise for both of us is Philadelphia dropping off. They're in sixth place right now, and I don't see a path for them to get near the postseason, AJ. We knew this was going to be a dogfight, and a really good team was going to miss the postseason. I just didn't think it was the Flyers, neither did you. And I think you even underestimated your own favorite team, the Penguins, right now at the top of the division. Can they hold on and win the loop? And uh, do you think it's a big deal that they do? This is important to finish first year. Well, I guess the first thing I'll say on, on that is, you know, I, the, the Flyers drop-off was certainly surprising. You know, I, I had them winning the division. I think you had them coming in second or, right. or somewhere that's, around there. That's right. Um, you know, the Rangers, I think we thought would, would challenge, but not necessarily make the playoffs. And, and that's exactly where they are. They're only four points back of Boston, but Boston has a couple games in hand. And, and I just don't see them uh, overtaking uh, the Bruins for that spot. As far as the Penguins go, look, uh, you know, being on top of the division is certainly helpful. But what's the reward here? You get, you get the Bruins in the first round. Like that's, that's not a good thing. Uh, maybe the Bruins end up in third and you get the Islanders instead. You know, we, we saw what they did to the Penguins two years ago. So, um, you know, I don't think winning the division really, uh, is, is that important for them? Uh, I think they, uh, have the best chance to, they have the easiest remaining schedule of kind of those top three teams. But, uh, you know, Evgeny Malkin famously said when asked about Washington always winning the division, they win, win division, we win the cup. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, that team, obviously the Penguins have their priorities straight, but 
it is something to be said if they could win the division without having Evgeny Malkin for the last month, you bring him back. Uh, plus now having Jeff Carter, I, I, I think they have to be on the top of a lot of people's list for, for contenders this year. Now, can they get out of the first round? That's been a problem the last two years. I'll stop pontificating there, Paul, so we can move on to the Canadian division. <laughs> I'll just say before we leave this one, though, that the Islanders were the team that surprised both of us in a positive way, and they are going to be a tough out no matter who gets them. It's that defensive structure uh, put in place by, I think, the best coach in hockey and Barry Trotz that uh, is is a feature of their play, and, and I don't know if anybody that really wants to face this team in the postseason at all. In terms of the North division, Look, it, I'm smiling like the cat, the, the butcher's dog, rather, and uh, I'm pretty happy that the Leafs have opened up a bit of a gap in their, in their division, and I forecast for the first time in the history of this show, I picked the Leafs to win this division, so they're making me look good on that call, and uh, I thought Vancouver would be a major player, and uh, they've disappointed a little bit, but they have enough time still to make a bit of a run. Uh, we had Montreal right where I figured they would be in about fourth place uh, in the fourth, fourth place in this division. I thought even have a chance to be higher, so maybe a rating is a bit of a disappointment. The Jets and the Oilers figure to be on a collision course, but Edmonton seems to own them right now. So uh, the four playoff participants are all but chiseled, chiseled in uh, stone here, but uh, a run by Vancouver could upset things at the finish line. It would be really like interesting to see Vancouver make like a play for that spot after everybody else is done playing. You know, they've only played 42 games. They have a lot of games in hand. They've got five on, on Montreal. And it, hypothetically, if they won all five of those games in hand, you're looking at a pair of tied teams <laughs> at, at 51 points there. So, uh, you know, it, it would be a bit of a surprise. I, I don't really expect it. Um, but it's, it's certainly something to keep watching. And yeah, I mean, Toronto has just feasted on this division all season long and, and I expect they'll probably continue to do so from, from your lips to God's ears, pal. Uh, am, <laughs> am I wrong to suggest that a 56 game schedule with a hundred percent divisional play doesn't give us a good indication of who the best teams really are. I, I say this because I really got into it with a prominent member of the Toronto media over the past week and uh, he got pretty feisty at the end of it. Uh, I will say I brought it up only because I thought they're playing exclusively against each other in the division. So the standings do mean something in this case. You really have a good idea who the best teams are. And I used the Leafs as an example. They're eight points clear of the field at the time that we were talking. So I said, well, clearly they're the best team in the division. And he says, oh, no, Winnipeg's better. Well, the Leafs have beaten Winnipeg six of nine times now, so I don't know how anybody can say that. And you can go around the league in all the other divisions and – make a case of the same way when when there's a bit of a gap between teams certainly in the case of vegas and colorado they're neck and neck so maybe there isn't a clear leader there and pittsburgh's only one one or two points ahead in their loop but uh in the other divisions i think you have a pretty good idea who the top teams really are yeah i would agree you know the the thing about it is you know we talked about it a couple times in here you've got three teams in the west who are significantly outpacing everybody else You've got the same in the central, the three teams ahead of, you know, the rest, the rest of that division, even in, in the East that maybe you consider that one a little bit, you know, a little bit tighter and you don't necessarily know who the top team is there. Like after Boston, yeah, you're, you're probably looking at easily the four best teams and, and the same thing in, in the North. I just think, you know, the one thing 
the one caveat I would put on that is you probably don't, we probably don't really have a good idea of who the best team in the league is um, just because, you know, we haven't had any kind of cross, you know, uh, head to head examples. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people have given, uh, you know, the top, uh, you know, McDavid and uh, Drysaddle, you know, have been asterisked, if you will, on their point production this year because they're they're playing Ottawa and Vancouver, you know, multiple times. Um, but I still think, you know, to say we know which teams are the best in each division, I, I think it's pretty fair um, based on those those significant gaps and the head-to-head nature of, of the season. And, I mean, the only thing that can upset that right now is a rash of injuries, and we'll be tracking the player movement as we do each week. And uh, that's a great segue into uh, what we'll do, as per usual, go around the league and give you our thoughts on each club. And, AJ, it's your turn to lead off with your thoughts on Anaheim, eighth in the Western Conf- uh, Division right now. Well, you started by saying, you know, rash of injuries could pop up, and, and nobody took it uh, worse this last week than the Anaheim Ducks losing uh, Jacob Silverberg for, you know, six months. So you're looking at, you know, that's going to impact next season as well. Um, you know, a couple other guys banged up like Andy Walensky, Josh Manson. Uh, you know, the Silverberg injury, I, I think, is significant. You know, this season is is a dud. Uh, I think everybody knows that they're they're probably going to be pushing for for maybe the bottom of the division here or the the league here and and maybe getting into that uh, that lottery spot. But uh, I think you know the fact that you're looking at an injury that's now potentially going to impact next season, even if you do overhaul the team, even if things look better. Uh, one of your top, you know, top players, in my opinion, his numbers may be a little bit down this year, but any, everybody on Anaheim has bad numbers this year. Um, you know, he's been consistently a 40 point guy and uh, it looks like, uh, in three of his last six seasons, he missed the 40 point mark by one. So you can confidently say he's a 39 point guy <laughs> every year for, for six straight years, you know? And, and so I, I think that's the concern for me is that, you're you're not just talking about losing him for the rest of this season that doesn't matter you're talking about you know potentially not having him in October next year well AJ I'm going to go on with Arizona and they disappointed me last night in the game against San Jose I loaded up on on the Coyotes a little bit and their goalie got pulled typically my luck of late is seeing goalie pulls with the players that I pick so a bit of a red flag there when you're trying to win in DFS play and uh, Kemper despite the fact he won three uh, won a start and only allowed seven goals against in three starts last week he gave up four really quickly last night Phil Kessel continues to roll along a goal and two assists for him Alex Goligoski we've been highlighting him week after week he's found his offensive game with another three-point week Michael Bunting has seven goals in 10 games played now as left winger on the top line. He's had a heck of a debut out here, and, and uh, in a dress rehearsal, I think he's a lock to be a top six forward for a while, as long as he p- produces anywhere near there. Lawson Krause is the guy that's behind him in the pecking order on the left side with another goal last week. So youngsters dotting the, the, the forward ranks, certainly a key to the success that they hope to have in the near future. Lane Peterson, another youngster to keep an eye on. He picked up two assists last week. They're pretty thin at center. He's getting a look there, so I'd say keep an eye on him. And I'd also like to see Aiden Hill get some more reps in goal with uh, the team, I think, hanging on barely to a playoff spot. Uh, I think th- that uh, ship is going to sail pretty soon, and I hope they do give him a few more looks before the end of the season. 
in Boston, it was an inconsistent week for them as they went two and two. Uh, you know, getting production from the top guys that you would want. Brad Marchand, two goals, one assist. Uh, Pasternak, a goal and two assists. Getting production out of Taylor Hall as well. But boy, do you have to feel bad for Jeremy Swayman the other night. Puts together uh, a phenomenal uh, campaign. Stops the Penguins to the tune of, of 28 saves on 29 shots. But still loses the game because the offense was not there went up against a, a Tristan Jari and, and uh, got shut out there. So tough, tough outing for him. I mean, you talk about fantasy points on, on drafting 16.1 on FanDuel, 18 points, uh, you know, for giving up just that one goal. And that's without the win uh, bonus as well. So got to feel bad for him. And certainly, uh, you know, a player, I think, to watch moving forward and uh, what they want to do uh, into the rest of the season here. Yeah, and I think Swayman is making a real good case as goalie of the future here in Boston with Rask and Halak as pending UFAs. You wonder if they're going to sign one and move off the other one. Uh, they're both in their mid-30s, and so they'll have a new look with Swayman in the mix next year. I'm a firm believer in that. The Buffalo Sabres uh, look like they're locking, down, locking up the eighth spot in the East Division. Uh, no surprise to any of us. They went 1-3 and three last week. Dustin Tokarski is a career AHL goalie, and unfortunately he's been pressed into action getting the three starts last week, but uh, there was some news because Uka Pekka Lukanen, aren't you glad I got that name, AJ, instead of you, <laughs> had made his NHL debut. Uh, he allowed four, start, four goals in his first start. He's another big goalie from Finland. I haven't heard that that formula before in the NHL of you. It seems to be a factory. They're really trotting out some good ones, and maybe he's the latest in to go in that direction, and the Sabres certainly have to hope so. They have to pin their hopes on something over here. Uh, Reinhardt has been a guy who's bucked the trend uh, in terms of a, a down year. He's had a nice season, picking up four goals and one assist last week. R2 Rutsalainen, I don't think he's uh, any relation to a, the fellow with the la- la- same last name on the back, back end. He got two goals for them last week. Uh, speaking of the defense, Darlene with a goal and two assists. They're expecting him to produce like that on a regular basis, but it's been fits and starts this season, and that's been part of the problem here. Uh, Jeff Skinner's up to about 1.5 million per goal scored so far in the year, AJ, with the Ooh. goal that he scored last week. He needs to get three to get down to 1 million per, so it's still a pricey thing there with one of the worst contracts maybe in the NHL landscape. Dylan Cousins is another guy that offers some hope for the future with two helpers, uh, a young forward here that I saw a lot when he was in Canadian junior hockey play and a star on Team Canada's recent, most recent junior entry as well. I, I have a good feeling about the third line here in, in general, AJ. Cousins is a guy we talked about. Rutzelainen is showing well. And Anders Bjork moved over from Boston, and he's a fit right in here and contributed offensively already. So it's not all bleak and darkness here for the Sabres in the future, but uh, there's a few names for you to consider uh, long range. Well, just to uh, throw it out there, Paul, uh, he's still not the, the worst in the league. Uh, some of your most expensive cost uh, per goal guys right now are, are some uh, some defensemen here. Mark Edward Vlasic coming in at seven million dollars for each goal. Uh, obviously, he has he has a number of assists, so his, his cost per point is a little bit more manageable. But there's still uh, st- still some guys in the league sporting worse cost per goal numbers uh, than than Skinner. But uh, he's not far off. You know, one name that surprises me on here. And obviously he de- he's dealing with that injury, but Jack Eichel uh, comes in uh, pretty high on that list with just two goals himself. 
So that's a $5 million per goal uh, cost for Buffalo. And the, the one thing I'll say about the Sabres is, uh, you know, I hope people around there are tempering, tempering expectations because Lukanen is only the latest in a string of guys that are expected to be the next heir apparent here. Linus Olmark was that guy at one point. There were a couple names before him. And really, this has been a questionable position for them uh, since, since Ryan Miller left uh, for, for, you know, a number of years ago, obviously before that, they had the dominator, Dominic Hasek. I'll always get a chance to bring him up if opportunity presents. One of my favorite players of all time. In Carolina, uh, another good week for them that keeps them atop the central, 2-0-2. So at least they just continue to rack up points. You know, Even if they, they lose, uh, they're doing it in, in extra innings or, or shootouts. And so they're getting the, the points they need, which is why they're the only team right now in that division to have shored up a playoff spot as they lead the way. Uh, it probably won't be too long until Florida and Tampa join them on that list. But for now, Carolina, the one team that's locked that up. And a lot of that has to do with Nettle Djokovic. Three uh, games, two wins, seven goals allowed here. Look, I think we have to continue to talk about the fact that who is this team going to start uh, come game one of the postseason. I mean, at this point, Neto Djokovic has just looked so good. And Mrazek is continuing, you know, he's been out for a while with that injury. Like, I just don't see how you can't go with Neto Djokovic. It's, it would be, it's going to be a tough call for Rod Brindamore, but I think you have to, right? Yeah, I would agree with you. Nadelkovich really has shone when given the opportunity. Three game starts last week, two wins and seven goals against. You got a chance to win with, with a goalie keeping the goals against under three, and he's managed to do that pretty steadily all season long. And with that high-octane offense in front of him, it's uh, going to be a tough out in Carolina. In Calgary, they're hoping to be a tough out, but uh, they only went 2-1 and one last week and lost a critical game against Montreal last night. Jacob Markstrom been carrying the load there. Three games played last week, two wins, and again, seven goals against in total. Up front, Milan Lucic got two goals and marked a 1,000 games in his career. Uh, for a guy who plays the game as rough and tumble as he does, uh, I was kind of surprised to, to see that he was up near a 1,000 games overall. Uh, uh, it's been hot, hard miles, but uh, boy, there may not be a tougher player in the NHL for my money, AJ. Uh, Elias Lindholm, two goals for him. Derek Ryan, three assists. Andrew Mangiapane had a fine year, and he added to it with a three-point week last week. Sean Monahan is a guy that's come off the mat most recently, as well as Johnny Gaudreau. Monahan with three points. Uh, the playoff hopes are alive here because he and Gaudreau finally catching fire. Gaudreau, for his part, nine points in his last seven games played. Picked a great time to get hot for sure, uh, and Monaghan too, for that matter. But the trouble spot for me is that they suffered a significant injury on the blue line. Noah Hannafin is out with a shoulder injury, and it could be a big loss, uh, uh, something that might not be short-term either. Nikita Nesterov is a guy who will move into the vacancy in the top four, but he's nowhere near the two-way defenseman that uh, Hannafin is, so big loss in the back end for, for the Flames. Well, and I think the, again, the thing with Hannafin, you know, because there's surgery in play, you know, uh, Jake Gensel had, had a shoulder issue. I have no idea if it's the same one, um, but Gensel missed like six months. So if you're talking six months from today, to your point, Paul, Hannafin uh, could miss the start of next season, which is a, obviously a big concern. Uh, I'll give uh, a credit where credit is due to Milan Lucic. He become, you know, he's the fourth 
uh, player from his draft class, the 2006 class, to hit that 1,000-game mark alongside Phil Kessel, Jordan Stahl, and Nicholas Backstrom. Uh, you know, Nick Foligno uh, is there in the mix. He's got about 50 more games to go. I would imagine he'll be back for another season. I don't know if he'll be back uh, with, with your guys, but uh, with the Leafs, but I think he'll be back playing somewhere next season in Chicago. Uh, you know, a disappointing week for them. One and two. Uh, Malcolm Subban, for whatever reason, gets three of the starts, one win, six goals allowed. I just I don't understand starting Malcolm Subban ever because I'm not a fan, <laughs> to say the least. I just think uh, he's a career backup and, and using him as a starting netminder is not a recipe for success. But look, when it comes to Chicago, I think the biggest news to talk about is the retirement of Andrew Shaw. Won the cup with them twice. Um uh, Played in 544 career games, 246 points along the way. Uh, you know, we said when that, that latest injury came up and, and it came out that it was another uh, head injury concussion, you know, we said it, it, it probably had and should have been uh, the end. And, and fortunately, he's making the right choice, uh, you know, based on his doctor's recommendation to call it a career. I saw yesterday between Shaw, potentially Jonathan Taves, uh, this is a team that could have upwards of $21 million available from LTIR contracts. That is just insane to think that they would have that much ability to go over the cap um, because, you know, they've got Taves at 10, Seabrook on there at six, like 6.8. Shaw adds another almost four. Uh, you know, Paul, to your point, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, as to whether or not we need to reshuffle the deck here. There may be teams that look at this and say, whoa, 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 $21 million in LTIR relief. Like, that's just insane. But, you know, Chicago's a big market city. They can pay the, the bills, uh, you know, the real dollar bills. So uh, I guess if they can make it work, right? Yeah, I guess that that's a consideration. But I really believe that Jonathan Taves will come off that list. I've been seeing reports that he is feeling better, but I don't think he's in line for a return this season he's pointing himself at a return next season at full health and really feeling optimistic about it the Dehan injury uh, hip injury uh, uh, certainly you've touched on that theme earlier with a couple other guys we've named it affords Nikita Zadorov a uh, shot at more minutes and the guy is huge the guy can skate he's got some skills never really put it together AJ I think I think he should try to find some motivation here and really reach for a higher level of play that I think is in him. And I'm curious to see how he, he reacts maybe with a heavier workload going forward here. The Columbus Blue Jackets this season, we already touched on and on the top, uh, becoming rap- rapidly a write-off, a tire fire of epic proportions when you consider the run-ins that Tortorella's had. I think the, the funeral dirge is already playing for him in his uh, coaching tenure in Columbus. But uh, meanwhile, on the ice last week, uh, they went 0-3-1. Oliver Bjorkstrand, t- trying to rise above the, the fray, uh, produced five points, uh, a heroic performance in light of what's going on here, I'll say. Cam Atkinson chipped in with two assists. Uh, Max Domi with two helpers. Eric Robinson is a guy who is getting a look at the top line left wing minutes and making the best of the audition with two goals and one helper last week. Michael Delzato uh, was uh, picked up uh, near the trade deadline, and he's 
formed an interesting pairing with Seth Jones. We know that the Wierenski's out for the rest of the year, so pairing another offensive minor player with Jones is probably a pretty good idea here. Uh, Merz Lincolns could see a run of games uh, going forward because Jonas Corposalo suffered a lower body injury. The duration of his absence is unknown at this time. I just can't believe how often those two guys seem to get hurt. Like yeah. they, they cannot go uh, any length of time having both of those netminders healthy. It's, it's, you know, really strange. I, I would consider some sort of, uh, you know, seance or, or sage <laughs> ceremony to try and get the bad juju out of those goalie lockers or something. Cause uh, they're, they're definitely struggling. Look, this, this bad week, again, just further uh, in my mind enforces the fact that we we've seen three, in-season coaching changes in in Buffalo, Calgary, and Montreal. And I I just have to imagine, you know, at this point, you're probably going to finish out the season, right, with Torts. But I I just can't imagine that they are going to keep him once once the season wraps up. It just, you know, clearly he he doesn't have the locker room, or or at least that's what it seems from the outside looking in. Obviously, we're not in there day-to-day. Maybe he still does, but uh, I will just be surprised that John Tortorella would be back with them next season. Now, how long he goes without a job is probably pretty short. Uh, The NHL coaching carousel seems to only include the same people over and over again. We saw that with Calgary firing Jeff Ward and bringing back Daryl Sutter. Um, So I would imagine he'll get a job somewhere pretty quickly. Um, But, you know, it's, uh, it's one to watch, that's for sure. In Colorado, they played just two games last week, went one and one as they continue to uh, get guys back from the COVID protocol list. Um, they had, uh, you know, Grubauer seems to be getting closer. He did not, uh, did not play last night. It looks like maybe Friday at the earliest for him, although no official confirmation. They're also without Miko Rantanen and Jonas Donskoy. But perhaps longer impact for them is the fact that Brandon Saad suffered a lower body injury. That's going to keep him out two to four weeks. Um, that's pretty much the rest of the regular season here. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a last game or, or two, but certainly a significant injury when you consider that he's got 15 goals on the year for them. You know, his name doesn't come up as much because he's not on that, that power line of, of Landis Gog, McKinnon and Rantanen. Um, but certainly he provides plenty of depth scoring for them and his absence will no doubt be, be felt by them. And you know what? I want to mention Kale McCarr. AJ, he's uh, quietly uh, starting to score like we expect him to score all the time. He's almost at a point per game, 34 points in 35 games played among the NHL scoring leaders, but you're not hearing him being talked about because, uh, quite frankly, he hasn't played the games that some of the others have played. He's only 11 points behind Adam Fox for the league lead, in fact, but playing 14 games less than Fox, you can project that he'd be right there with him if he had played the full slate of games. So not to sleep on Makar going forward. Keep an eye on his price in DFS play. If he's not priced among the big boys, I think he's, he's got to be in your lineup the way he's going right now. The Dallas Stars, they're fifth in the Central Division, uh, coming off a 3-1 and week, trying to stay relevant in the race and trying to get healthier along the way. Anton Kudobin has had his issues with health, but he was in the, in the nets for three of the starts last week, allowing two, uh, six goals against in total and collecting two wins. Joe Pavelski has uh, quiet, been quiet for much of the last few weeks, but led the offense last week with a pair of goals. And Miro Heiskanen on defense with a pair of assists. These are two guys that should be central to 
to their attack night in and night out, and they're going to need them to play that way if they're going to hope to be a factor in the playoff race. Robertson has had a nice run now, 10 points in his last uh, seven games, a scoring streak that was buoyed by a five-point week last week. Dickinson with two helpers, Rupe Hintz with three points. You get the idea. The offense has been pretty spread out and, and consistent over the last uh, seven days. And John Klingberg, with a couple of helpers on the back end, has been part of that as well. The second line has a different look, though, most recently, AJ, than what we've seen all season. Ben has moved over from wing position to play in the middle of Dickinson and Gurianov. I like that idea. Both, all three guys capable offensive scorers and some good size there as well. So uh, I, I'd say keep an eye on them and maybe look for stack opportunities if they get on a heater offensively. Good news from the IR, Tyler Sagan pra- is practicing with the team. The return date for him is uncertain. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with how relevant they can be in a playoff hunt. Uh, they might shut him down if they fall off, but uh, if if they're in contention and he can make a difference, you can bet he's going to try and be a factor going forward. And Joel Kivaranta is another guy who's been sidelined for a while, could return to, pra- to practice with the club next week. So the calorie is coming on the sidelines. Can they stay relevant in the playoff hunt? That's the key here right now to determining maybe how quickly these guys get reinstated. Well, and I think if they get to a point here in the next couple of games where they're not uh, they're not right there next to Nashville, they're two points back with two games in hand, um, you're, you're going to see Rupe Hintz be shut down too. He's been basically a game-time decision every single game uh, for, for the last, you know, almost month, it, it feels like. And look, this is a team that I think, like, this is the argument right here, Paul, for what we've been talking about for a number of years on this show is to go to a three-point regulation win system. Right. The Dallas Stars lead the league in overtime losses with 12, uh, and they're only two points back, as I said, of Nashville. Nashville only has two overtime losses. Meanwhile, they have six uh, six more wins. Now, if you look at regulation wins, it's, it's a difference of three. Some quick math here I did, I, I think you'd be looking at, instead of a two-point difference, you'd be looking at a, a five-point difference here. So it's not significant, but it is enough to change things up a little bit. And I really think uh, it's something that would be good for the NHL overall um, to avoid, you know, those last minute of games where it's just like, ah, nobody's really trying here because let's just both get a point and then we'll settle it in overtime. Whereas if it was, you know, if there were more points on the line, by getting that regulation win and, and having that worth three points, I, I really think this is a time to do that. And this team is a case for that. In Detroit, uh, they're not a case for much of anything this year other than what maybe bad hockey looks like. Uh, they went one, one, and two last week, eighth in the Central. Thomas Grice taking uh, three of those starts, picking up one win, five goals allowed. Look, in terms of DFS, there are opportunities and a couple guys that you could snag. You know, Verona last week had four goals. Glenn Denning had three. Uh, Gagne had one. Um, so there are opportunities here. But I think the biggest thing for me is to stay away from the net minding here. Um, I don't think they're racking up too many wins. But if you pick the right spot in the right matchup, they, they do have some talented guys that could pick up a point here or there. And they're not going to be heavily, uh, you know, the drafted percentage on most of these guys is probably going to be pretty low. So it could be the, you know, the boost you need in those tournament uh, tournament competitions. 
Well, the Oilers are certainly getting a boost from their best players, uh, AJ. In the past week, Connor McDavid, two goals and four assists last week, and a hat-trick and a masterful performance last night against Winnipeg. Uh, they had a light schedule last week, one and one in the two games, but going forward, they're going to be a lot busier than that. So you can expect to see Connor Dave McDavid highlights in store for you in the coming weeks if he plays like he is right now. Boy, uh, that makes Edmonton a scary proposition. I know they're not the deepest club in the league, but when Dreisaitl and McDavid are cooking, uh, you got to look out here, and he really put on a show. Jesse Pugliarvi is uh, thriving on his wing of late. Uh, two goals and one helper last week, tying his career high in goals, and finally looking like a player they thought they drafted five years ago. That's uh, like found money for the Oilers, I think. They've been waiting on him, and he's starting to deliver the goods. On defense, Dmitry Kulikov is another guy that they hope would make a difference. He made his team debut on Monday night. Adding this key uh, veteran presence on the blue line could be another big move for the Oilers down the stretch. Behind the top two stars at center, there's no real options that have emerged in the middle of the ice here. Uh, 21-year-old Ryan McLeod might be a guy that they'll look to in the third line center position. He was a point-of-game guy in the in the AHL and made his debut last week, so we'll keep an eye on him going forward. Uh, interesting to note that McDavid and Dreisaitl are again on separate lines, and DFS players need to know who are playing on their wings, so keep an eye on the Rotowire uh lineup depth chart on a daily basis whenever the Oilers suit up because the cheap DFS plays could wind up being some of the wingers that play with these two uh, superstars. Well, in Florida, the the biggest news, despite a three and one week is, you know, the fact that they've had the second coming of Marty Brodeur, apparently uh, getting his first, you know, win in, in Spencer Knight. Look, it's, it's way too early. Like it was a good performance. Don't get me wrong. 33 (laughs) saves on 34 shots. Like, it is a good performance, but you're talking about a 19-year-old, uh, 20-year-old rather netminder coming into the league, you know, for the first time. And let's be clear on who the opponent was in this game. We're talking about Columbus. It's not like you faced a Tampa that you know with a full complement of, of Stamkos and Kucherov or anything like that. So I think we need to just kind of tamp down expectations here, in part for himself, right? Like. I, I think it's not good for him to suddenly be thrust into the spotlight. Um, you know, uh, I thought it was interesting that um, uh, last night they decided to go with Chris Reger. They're still giving him opportunities. Unfortunately, he picked up an injury and had to leave the game. I think that probably has more to do with long-term planning. Not that he can't win them games now, but the more opportunities they could give Dreger to feature at the end of the season here. One, you're giving Bob Broski some rest. Uh, and you're creating a, or generating more market for Drew during the off season. So I, I definitely think it was maybe a long-term look at the future. Um, hopefully the injury is not serious uh, so that they can, you know, consider that. But uh, Sergei Bobrovsky will obviously be their starter uh, come opening night. And I would imagine that heading into next season, you know, see, this is the thing I was going to say heading into next season, I would expect Spencer Knight to be their number two you're not going to have him sit behind Bob every night. Like, right. Like, why would you have him sit there not playing games? So I, I just think that doesn't make sense in the grand scheme. Um, that's what they do. I don't know, Paul, what do you think? Well, I do think it's decision time here. And you wonder, I think maybe Chris Dreger is going to be clamoring for an opportunity elsewhere. And that might make their decision a little bit easier. If he says, I don't want to be in a back backup anymore. I think I've done enough and I'm looking for a bigger challenge. 
maybe a number one opportunity somewhere else. So I think he might be able to force his own case uh, and and change the dynamic here. And and maybe Spencer Knight does agree to to stick around and and be an understudy to Bobrovsky and getting the short end of the stick because he's a young guy anyway. He's got a lot of runway here and maybe a year uh, under his belt as a backup guy before he takes the reins is is a good idea I mean way too young to put the the weight of a big goalie load on him in my opinion so I think it could sort itself out by Dreger uh, making a call to get out uh, I'm, I'm also interested in highlighting Sam Bennett here he's been probably the best addition of any club at the trade deadline added four points to his total last week and the big boys are scoring Barkov with four goals and Huberto with seven points uh, they got a lot to be pleased about in Florida as a contending club of this division and their big guns are firing right now the LA Kings seventh in the west one and two last week Peterson taking the load in net over quick with three game starts one win eight goals against in those three outings Anze Kopitar's had a fine year here but uh, not too much not enough support to stay relevant in the playoff hunt at this point even Drew Doughty had a, has had a nice offensive season it's not to say some of the some of the youngsters aren't making waves here. We've been impressed at times by several of them. Uh, certainly Alex Ayafalo has turned in enough of a performance to get a long, long-term long contract. But guys like Adrian Kempe and Blake Lazat have, have performed in fits and starts, showing enough flashes that they can be guys that can be part of a top six year. I'm looking for more from Andreas Athanasiu. I think he's miscast as a third-line winger here, AJ. I know they're trying to stretch the offense a little bit, but I'd like to see him part of the top six, and I think he has a higher ceiling than he's shown so far. So that's my, my sense of the L.A. Kings. What about you? Well, I'll just jump into Minnesota, moving from the bottom of the league to the top here. 4-0 and last week on a seven-game winning streak. And it's all on the back of Cam Talbot, who really has rediscovered something here. You know, we talked about this early in the season that if Talbot could return uh, to being that player that you know logged you know seventy three games, forty two wins for Edmonton back in in twenty sixteen seventeen, that he could really uh, be you know kind of the piece that this club needed to to try and turn things around here. Um, you know, I I certainly expect. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A little bit more of a divided workload between him and, and Capo Kakinen, um, but Talbot's made the decision for them. I mean, you look at his own his own run of performance here. He hasn't lost in regulation in his last seven starts, 6-0-1, uh, with a 2.12 goals against average over that time. 
Uh, it's just too, too good of numbers. Why would you not want him, you know, taking every single night? And clearly this is a guy that thrives on a heavy workload. And, and so I, I would expect to see plenty of him uh, heading into the stretch. And I, I think it's pretty clear to me that he'll be their starter come, uh, you know, game one of the postseason. Over in Montreal, this team is clinging to fourth place. They had a one and three week last week, uh, won a key game last night against Calgary, salvaging at least one game of that trio out in the uh, Western Canada. Uh, key set to uh, may define the postseason finishing standings here uh, when we get to the end. But uh, I think Montreal's not yet home and cooled out. And you got to help me out, partner, to find any offense outside of the names of Toffoli and Anderson. Uh, there's nobody here that's really lighting it up. They combined with five goals on the week. Tatar with two helpers. Peacher with two assists. There's only points in the last seven games as he's really cooled off. Corey Perry, there's been some some fits and starts from him. A really good value for the money that they paid him. Another couple of assists there. And Eric Gustafsson chipped in with a couple of helpers. Looking good offensively at least, but still, still very suspect on the back end. The big news here is Cole Caulfield debuting last night. I'm sure you have more to say about him than I than I know, but uh, suffice it to say, they're expecting him to be instant offense. He looked pretty good last night in, in a limited role, and they're giving him a top six opportunity, which I like to see. When you talk about an offensive talent that comes up from the AHL, I don't like it when they put him on fourth line duty. This guy's getting a chance to be on the power play and top six, and uh, they're clearly expecting a lot of production out of him. Uh, injury injury concerns remain with Carey Price. There's no timeline for his return from concussion. I'm certain that uh, they would like to get him in as soon as possible to solidify that playoff spot as soon as possible too, but uh, they're really walking a tightrope with him, and that's that's got to be a big concern going forward. They're only 4-0 and since Gallagher's injury. He won't be back in the rest of the regular season, and that's... Uh, you know they're really they're really fighting it right now, and uh, they got to get their act together if they want to get to the postseason. I'm not sure they will. Well, and one of the problems is they brought in Eric Stahl to provide you know some center depth and and so maybe some deeper scoring here. But you look at it uh, since he joined the team, he has just two goals, and perhaps more concerning is that in six of his 13 games with the club, he failed to record a single shot on goal, uh, which is just strange to me. I, I don't. I don't know why you would, uh, you know, why he's not putting pucks on the net, uh, you know, and perhaps even more concerning is last night, he played less than 10 minutes of, of ice time last night. Like what, what are we doing here? Why, why did we go out and get Eric Stahl? If you're not going to, you know, not going to use him, if he's, um, you know, not, not going to produce, uh, I just, I thought it was a great addition. Uh, at the time, I was a little bummed that Pittsburgh didn't uh, make a run at him. This was obviously before uh, they, they got Jeff Carter. I'm very satisfied with that. But, um, you know, Eric Stahl was one player that I thought that they should target. And looking at it now, I, I'm very glad that they didn't. Can you imagine the Canadians fans in the end of the schedule? They're finishing on the 12th of May, I think. And Calgary and Vancouver face off four times after that date to see if either one of them has a shot remaining. So if they can get within hailing distance, there's going to be a lot of nervous Nellies in La Belle Provence. Partner, we're going to take a few minutes for some words from our sponsors at this point. We'll be back with a look at the remaining teams in our weekly deep dive into key information about each roster. Stick with us. You're listening to podcast. We'll be back in a bit.
Welcome okay. back to PuffCast. Okay. Sorry, bye. No, AJ, I'll throw <laughs> to you. Why don't you go ahead and okay. tell us about uh, what's happening in New Jersey? Yeah, with the, the Devils, uh, you know, 0-3-1 this last week, 10-game winless streak, about what we would expect from this team uh, at the start of the season. Now, they have played uh, some tough some tough games. They, they aren't an easy as easy of an out as you would expect, given the fact that they're on a 10-game winless streak. Um, they've gotten production out of a couple guys like Wood, two goals, three and assists, Hughes with two goals, uh, Butcher, four assists, um, so there, there's guys that are producing, but certainly, um, the net mining has been less than stellar. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood was out for a pair of games against, uh, the Penguins and Dell started one game and got the hook for Wedgwood. Wedgwood started one game and got the hook for Dell. So they, in both games, they ended up flipping these guys and, and it just was a, a bad, bad week for, for net mining there. I think what we'll see. Uh, moving forward is, is we'll see plenty of Mackenzie Blackwood, Blackwood uh, once he's cleared to play. But for now, uh, it's just a struggle with this team. And, and obviously, they're looking for things to turn around in future seasons here. In Nashville, this club we highlighted off the top, they're trying to stay relevant in the race and making a run for it. They're 2-0-1 last week and now in fourth place in, the, in their division. UC Saros carrying the mail in the nets. Three game starts, two wins. Eight goals against in those uh, that trio of games. Luke Coonan leading the offense with four points. Michael Granlin with five. And Callie Yarncroft with three. None of these guys are big-name players around the league, but certainly have been staples for the Nashville club uh, offensively for much of this season. And uh, they were joined last week by Ryan Johansson. And we've been maligning the one-two punch in that center here forever. So whenever we get a chance to say something good, we will. And Johansson had a three-point week. One of the big ticket centers finally coming through. And he's now on a season-high three-game point streak. That kind of tells you why we've been on his case all season the way we have. They've got a shot in the arm on the back end with Ryan Ellis's healthy return once again rating as a very good underpriced dfs option on defense he had three assists to lead the back end in scoring last week sadly there's no update for their sideline star up front philip forsberg and his upper body injury unless you know something i don't aj but uh, they they could certainly use him in the offense Tolanen has returned to the left wing role in the top line in his place, tallying two points after his own seven-game stint on the hour recently. Be good to see these guys both in the lineup at the same time, and that would certainly give their chances for the postseason a big shot in the arm. On Long Island, it was an inconsistent week with a one-one and one record for the Islanders. Uh, you know, the net mining here, you, you have to start to question if they need to maybe give a heavier workload to, to Simeon, uh, Simeon Varlamov played in two games, went one Oh and one, and that's giving up one goal on 54 shots. I mean, so that's a tough loss, obviously to, to lose one, nothing to, to the uh, capitals there. Uh, and then, you know, they give Sorokin the, the, the game against Washington, the following game, and he just got rocked six goals allowed on 30 shots that I don't really understand the call. It wasn't a back-to-back. So um, I think it's kind of just too, too hard to get Sorokin in, into games. And when you look at where they are in the standings and trying to, you know, hold on to uh, a spot here, uh, you know, I, I think they're fine in terms of the playoffs, but look, I, I would rather be sitting in the two spot and at least be able to play at home instead of the three. I certainly wouldn't want to drop to the four 
and have to, you know, travel to, to Pittsburgh um, if, if they end up winning. So I, I just don't understand the choice to put Sorokin in that game. Um, and, and they obviously paid for it. New York Rangers are fifth in the Eastern Division. I think they're too far out to make a run, AJ. But they went 2-2 two and two last week, 12 goals against in, in those four games. So uh, right around the three per game, obviously, quick math there. Shesterkin getting three of the starts, one win uh, on the week. Mika Zibanejad is a guy who's been really on fire in uh, fits and starts. Last week was another plus week for him with six points. Rooney added two two goals. Kako with two goals and one helper in his early career development. I've seen I've seen really good signs out of him most recently. Fox on the back end leading the league in scoring for defenseman five points to his ledger last week. Artemi Panarin a must start in DFS play uh, when they're playing lesser lights in this division. He picked up four points last week. Uh, same with Buknevich. Heedle had three and Lafreniere with three. You can see they're getting the offense from everywhere, and a lot of these names are youngsters who are really moving along the learning curve in the NHL. Colin Blackwell, another one who might fit that description, left the last game in discomfort and has been held pointless in his last four starts. So we should keep an eye out to see maybe if Kako moves past him on the depth chart into a scoring line role on a regular basis. Lafreniere is getting some reps with Zabenejad, and that's really good for his development. We're seeing more consistent scoring out of him most recently. And I already mentioned Adam Fox leading the league in scoring among defensemen. That's a great and unexpected development for a rebuilding franchise in, on Broadway. I'm really interested to see how uh, the voters determine the Norris trophy this year, because look, uh, you know, Fox, you look at the, the guys that are in the, in the top, you've got uh, Hedman, Carlson, Shea Theodore, Dougie Hamilton, Chris Letang. All those are playoff teams. Uh, the, the Rangers are likely not. So are they going to factor that in or not? You look at power play points, uh, half of Fox's production has come on the power play. And he's got a plus 23, which, you know, I, again, we, we talked about plus and minus can be a bit overrated, but when it's that skewed to one side, I think it's really telling you something about his play. So I, I think Fox is certainly a, a candidate. I, I would be shocked if he wasn't at least nominated. Um, but I wonder if he can win it when he's not playing on a playoff team, if they factor that in or not. I have, I have no idea. So it's, it's something that I will certainly be watching and very curious to see what they do because cases could be made for, for, you know, John Carlson has 10 goals. Uh, you know, Hedman is only two points behind Fox uh, in, in the scoring here, but their plus minus is nowhere near uh, Adam Fox's. So it, just something interesting to watch and, and see what the voters do with that one in Ottawa, a two and one week, but the bigger concern continues to be, the health among the netminders. Matt Murray did start three uh, games this last week, picked up two wins, but he's gotten hurt again. Uh, they are already without uh, Joey Decord for the rest of the season. Anton Forsberg is also dealing with an injury. So it's Marcus Hogberg and Philip Gustafsson. Look, I, I don't think they thought they were going to be a competitive team this year, but they brought in Matt Murray to be their number one guy. Uh, this year and, and moving forward. And now suddenly we're in the second stint of injury time for him. And at this point, it, it's hard to say that he's not injury prone because he dealt with this in Pittsburgh. It's why they kept, uh, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury around as long as they did because, you know, and, and Fleury got injured a couple of times too over that stretch. But Matt Murray just seems to be somewhat injury prone here. And I think it's a 
concern for an Ottawa team that's rebuilding. And yeah, they didn't go over the top in terms of, of number of years, but four years committed to Murray. If you know, you don't want him spending all of that on LTIR. I, I think it's something of a concern for them moving forward. And AJ, we already talked about the Flyers six in the East, big surprise uh, to both of us uh, in terms of looking at where we had them projected. Carter Hart's season from hell is the central reason why it's now marked by a knee injury that has kept him out of the last five games. And again, no time, no clear timetable for his return. Alex Lyon has been called up and allowed nine goals over two recent starts for his part. So goaltending, a big concern here in Philadelphia again. Right winger on the second line, Travis Konechny, though, is another guy that I want to highlight for the wrong reasons. He's having a Big-time subpar year, only one assist in his last eight games played. He was very central to this offense last season, and they got to have all hands on deck if their goaltending is going to struggle the way it has, and uh, he's a big reason also why this team is not where it, is, it was expected to be. Wade Allison is a big winger who is getting his first taste of NHL life, fits the Flyers' prototypical mold, a big, rangy guy with some good hands, they say. He has a goal in six games played, now listed as right wing on the third line, We'll see if he gets more reps and maybe scoring line opportunity before this regular season is out. After a nice start to his season, Scott Lawton parlayed that into a five-year, $15 million extension, but he's now mired in a 19-game scoreless streak. I wonder if Flyers Brass is rethinking that one. Yeah, I mean, the the concern there, uh, up until uh, Sunday's game here, he went four games without a single shot. Um, he, you know, he's, he's still dishing out some hits, getting a few blocks. So, uh, he, he rarely puts up a zero in terms of, of DFS contest, but, um, maybe the five shots that he recorded against New Jersey, maybe that's a, you know, a turnaround for him and he can start heading in the right direction. Speaking of heading in the right direction, Pittsburgh Penguins four and O last week, Tristan Jari three, uh, three games, three wins, six goals allowed. Uh, all the names you expect are producing. The top line here is pretty much unstoppable at this point. You've got Russ, three goals, two assists. Crosby, three and three. Gensel, one goal, five assists. And Gensel picking up the lone goal for the Penguins in that crucial uh, win over Boston. I, I, I think the biggest question is, uh, and this is a strange question to be asking, is what do you do with Evgeny Malkin when he comes back, I, I think the chemistry that you're seeing right now from what is making up the second line of Jared McCann, Jeff Carter, and Jason Zucker, I, I just don't see how you break that up. So I think what you have to essentially do is you put Malkin back with Kapanen. They were great together. And then I don't know who you stick on their other wing, um, but I don't think it should be Jared McCann or Jason Zucker. You're clearly not going to move Brian Rust off that top wing. So, you know, that's going to be one to watch in terms of DFS because whoever ends up in that spot could have a pretty good assignment. Could be Evan Rodriguez. He showed a, a little bit of something uh, for a few games when he was playing with, with Carter on that second line. Maybe Sam Lafferty uh, or Zach Aston reese could be a candidate, although his finishing has been questionable at best during times. So it's, it's a big question mark for me is what do you do? Now, if they get Brandon Tanev back at the same time, that's a guy that I think could really fit there. You would have uh, Malkin flanked by two of the fastest guys on the team in Kapanen on one side and Tanev on the other. So 
a lot of question marks there, but they're good problems to have for the Penguins as they continue to roll right now. No wonder you're smiling so broadly. It is nice problems to have <laughs> in Pittsburgh. In San Jose, they're breaking in a new goalie, and aren't you glad I get to say his name? Josef Kozhenash is a guy who has made his debut in uh, San Jose Colors. I, I know his pronunciation, not from the NHL pronunciation guide, but I've watched the last couple of broadcasts from San Jose games to learn that one, partner. Uh, he has yet has recorded his first win in six appearances with last night's surprise victory over the visitors and uh, he, from Arizona, and uh, he looked good to me, AJ. So maybe they're finding somebody who will challenge Mar- Marty Jones going forward. Certainly, he's had another up-and-down year in the Nets, and that's a big reason why they're on the outside looking in. Uh, but uh, they also have issues with injuries. Veteran right-wingers Nieto and LeBanc are sidelined right now. Noah Gregor is getting some top six minutes and scored his first of the season last week. Ditto for Joaquin Blitzfield. Yeah, folks, it's clearly audition time here in San Jose, and those are a couple of names, three names to watch going forward. Another team dealing with some injuries is the St. Louis Blues. Uh, They had to go without Colton Pareko or Vince Dunn last night, uh, and and certainly that's going to stretch their defense on top of the fact that they have gone a couple games in a row here playing seven defensemen uh, rather than the usual 12-6 formation, Steve Santini making his uh, Blues debut for the club after getting promoted. So it, I, I find that very interesting that they're going to trust their, you know, going to the deep of the deep. They've got two defensemen out uh, of the lineup, and yet they still uh, lined up seven seven of those guys. I think that's uh, kind of a scathing review in my mind for guys like Kyle Clifford, Zach Sanford, Mackenzie McEachum. Uh, even, you know, Jacob De La Rose, like the team would rather use arguably their ninth defenseman. If you factor in, you know, your six plus Pareko and Dunn and then another guy uh, instead of you in the lineup, I, I, I would obviously be a little upset by that. Um, Tory Krug has been a little banged up. He, he did play last night. So that's certainly a good sign for them. Um, but the fact of the matter is he was a, a game time call heading into the contest and you wonder if if that continues to linger they might consider shutting him down if they get too far behind in the playoff race in tampa they are third in the central division i don't think they can fall any lower than that realistically so they're probably just going to coast into the postseason and and scare the heck out of whoever finishes second i think is is their goal in the first round aj vasilevsky getting a, a lot of work in the nets he's a workhorse though we forecast this at the beginning of the season that he'd be right at the top of the league in terms of games played and he's had another vezina caliber season adding three game starts two wins and eight goals against to the totals last week Braden points a guy who shook off uh, a bit of a slump with a five-point week and that's a great sign for a team that's missing a couple of its bigger offensive pieces aside from him Andre Palat two goals and four assists for his part as well playing great in a top six role uh, and getting there with a cheap uh, price tag in DFS play more often than not so I keep an eye on him and I use him regularly I'll say that and he's been very productive for me as those totals imply Blake Coleman with a couple of goals Victor Hedman again in line for a conversation in the Norris Trophy I will give my Norris Trophy winning candidate very very shortly when we get to his team it hasn't come yet AJ so you can almost (laughs) 
guess who I might be picking there, but we'll leave it for suspense for a little more. Uh, I wonder if the Bolts are interested in pushing for first place, or are they just going to coast and wait for Kucherov and Stamkos? I think that's the recipe that I forecast the rest of the way. And like I said, point uh, on fire, nine points in his last eight games played. Savard uh, on the defense. David Savard is is getting acclimatized here with a with a heavy workload, twenty minutes per game. He hasn't chipped in with any points and is only a minus three in the seven games so far. He'll get better, folks, and he'll be relevant on their power play before the season is out. I'll get us to to Toronto as quick as I can, Paul, and I'll keep my comments short because I'm sure you have plenty to add about the Maple Leafs after a two and one week for them. Uh, obviously, you know the biggest watch here is. You know, how much work is Freddie Anderson doing on a nightly basis? Uh, yesterday, it looked like he uh, it took uh, a twirl on the ice, got out there. He's hoping uh, to be back before the playoffs, at least according to reports coming out yesterday. Uh, that lower body injury has been clarified as, as a knee issue that it sounds like Anderson was playing through for a little bit um, and, and finally decided it, it was best to shut it down. So, I think we'll see a lot of Jack Campbell down the stretch, but they did bring in David Riddich at the deadline. uh, So he could grab a few starts as well along the way. Paul, uh, you give me the rest of the rundown about your Leafs. Well, I think you're going to see all three of those goalies in the mix in the last nine games that they have on the schedule. I think it is. And uh, Freddie will probably play the last two, I'll suggest. They will have to do some cap manipulations to get him into those starts. So you might see some players getting rested and, and other players who are on emergency call move down. They'll find a way to get that done, and Freddie will play. And I think he'll be the starter in one of the first two games that they play in the postseason. I think they might be one of those teams that alternates goalies in the in the postseason run it's kind of going to be kind of a win and you're in kind of situation but I have every confidence that Freddie's going to come back and be a factor before the season is out I'd like to talk about Mitch Marner AJ I haven't really spent any time at length talking about him uh, all season long but I, I think it's time to really notice that he deserves consideration for a couple of the league signature awards uh, certainly the MVP of the team you might want to make a case for Austin Matthews above him because he's lapped the field offensively in goal scoring and plays that too foot game but his running mate Marner has been no slouch he's actually second to Connor McDavid in terms of minutes played per game by any forward in the NHL and he's done it in power play he's done it in PK and he's done it in in uh, regular ice time I think I make a strong case for him being a Selkie Award nominee and a Lady Bing nominee as well he's just a top flight winger who plays in all situations and does it with great, great style and flair. And uh, I think it's time for somebody to start banging the drum for this guy. He's been that good. I also want to say some nice words about John Tavares. He's been maligned as uh, far as the big contract is always something that comes up in conversation. But it's now four weeks that he's been playing very, very good hockey. Three more goals and one helper to his ledger. And he's had a myriad of, of wingers in his time in Toronto and just continues to score at a point-per-game pace. It might surprise you to note that he's right on the fringe of the top 20 scorers again. It's, that's what this guy does year in and year out, and that's why he gets the big money that he does. And a quiet, effective leader, never any garbage from him, and he's done some great work off the ice as well. So uh, time to talk about uh, some players uh, that I haven't really spent much time talking about when it comes to the Maple Leafs, uh, and I'm happy to do so. Vancouver Canucks, up next, sixth in the north. They are trying to be relevant in the postseason race. Uh, two, one, two and one was the record last week. They lost a tough one with Ottawa last night. P. 
Pearson and Sutter with two goals. Hughes with a goal and three helper helpers. Uh, J.T. Miller with a goal and three assists. Their offense is coming, folks, and their de- their defense is getting a, a better look because Braden Holtby is playing his best hockey of the year. Two game starts, two wins, and five total goals against. That's three straight wins for him uh, and a total of seven goals in those outings. I think he's going to be the guy they lean on as long as they are relevant in the postseason hunt. He's got the hot hand right now, and they got to ride that. Uh, to fan their fading playoff hopes. I also want to give a nod to Tyler Myers. He's taken on more minutes since his uh, return from the sidelines. Elias Pettersson, though, not likely to rejoin this club, and that's a tough blow for a team that's uh, on the outside looking in right now. They're just hoping to get their flashes forward healthy again, maybe in time for next season. Uh, there is some doubt, though, that he will he has played his last game, according to specialists that he saw last week. Uh, he's probably done for this year. And that means the leadership role and the top scoring line role falls to Bo Horvat. He's answered the bell in both cases most recently with five points over his last four games played. He's got to keep that up to get drag the Canucks as far as he can into the playoff race this season. Well, in Vegas, they've uh, went 3-0 and last week, a nine-game winning streak that has propelled them into first place in the West right now uh, with a bit of a, a cushion, not much, but a four-point cushion on Colorado right now. Uh, and look, at, you know, you got to look at the net mining over this stretch. Robin Leonard, 5-0-0 uh, over that nine-game win streak, a .928 save percentage, 1.77 goals against average. And those are the worst numbers of the two net miners. Mark Andre Fleury, 4-0 over that stretch, .942 save percentage and a one and a half goals against average. A shutout for each of those guys over that stretch. And you would think with those numbers, they're just winning defensively, but they're getting it done on the offensive side of the puck as well. Mark Stone, three goals. March Assault, five points last week. Stephenson, three points. Shea Theodore, a goal and five assists as well. And just... Everything is clicking for the Golden Knights right now. Um, you know, we saw this last year. So this is a team that, you know, when it comes to the postseason, uh, show me show me something is, is what I'm going to be looking for out of these guys because, uh, you know, they got into the playoffs last year and the offense completely dried up and the guys that you would expect to produce just weren't there. Uh, and they're going to have to come out and prove it in their opening round series that at this point will likely – be against either Arizona or St. Louis. Well, and I'm going to take the opportunity to tout another guy for a major award, and that's Shea Theodore here, AJ. You mentioned some of the top-scoring defensemen. He's right there, fourth in the league right now, with 40 points heading into action tonight in 44 games, a plus 26, only 14 minutes in penalties, and averaging just about 22 and a half minutes of ice time. He has uh, far surpassed any peers on the blue line, including Alex Petrangelo, who, quite frankly, hasn't measured up offensively to the numbers that I expected here and has been his season has been marred by injury. But I thought Shea Theodore would be threatened by his presence, but instead he's elevated his game one more level. And I think, for me, he's odds-on to challenge uh, Victor Hedman for the uh, Norris Trophy. It's going to come down to one or the other of these two guys. In Washington, the Caps are trying to give your team uh, fits in terms of clinching that top spot. They went 2-0 and in a very light week for them. Daniel Sprong getting two goals and fitting in nicely in a top-six role. Kuznetsov with a goal and two helpers. Even Brendan Dillon chipped in with two assists, but don't go looking for him in DFS play. He's strictly a defensive defenseman, folks. Uh, the key news here, Alex Ovechkin missed a game on the weekend with a lower body injury and is questionable for tonight's game against the Islanders. 
I don't know if my partner has more information about that, but anytime Ovi's out of the lineup, that's newsworthy, and you want to see who's taking his place to play with one of the better playmaking centers in hockey, regardless of uh, whichever one of the top two guys you like there. They're both considerations in terms of DFS play night in, night out. I mentioned Sprong and Mantha with the their possibilities being top uh, line scoring left wingers. If Ovechkin doesn't play, it'll be those two guys that carry the mail offensively from the wing. While Justin Schultz is out for a low, with a lower body injury, Trevor Van Riemsdyk has been inserted into the defensive mix. Again, not a guy that's going to threaten offensive uh, totals from the back end, but uh, just keeping an eye out with uh, the injury bug on Schultz, who's, who's been up and down with the Caps all season long in terms of relevance and importance to them. Samsonov has started four of the last six in the nets and won them all, allowing a total of only seven goals against, so it looks like he's fully recovered from his recent upper body injury as well. So most of the news is good, but you've got to be concerned about the captain if he's going to miss any time with the lower body hurt. AJ, you got any information on that? Well, I think, uh, you know, you look at practice yesterday. Justin Schultz participated in practice but had a no-contact jersey. Uh, obviously that could change before tonight's game, but I, I think that's pretty clear indication. We won't be seeing him tonight. And Ovechkin was actually, you know, maybe further back. Uh, he skated before practice, but did not take part in the practice session uh, either way. So I have to imagine that Schultz probably comes back before Ovi, but it could just be a, a difference in injury type and, and something along that line. So Today is obviously going to be the key. The game day skate will make a lot of determinations there. But I, w- I personally would be surprised if either one of those guys gets up into the lineup tonight. Speaking of inter- uh, injuries, the Winnipeg Jets uh, got some bad news yesterday as Nikolai Ehlers will be shut down for the remainder of the regular season. Now, indications are that he could be ready to go in time for uh, the postseason, which is certainly a good thing for them. But uh, it's a big blow for a team when you consider that Ehlers uh, was one of just, you know, I, I think it's about uh, probably expanded a little last night, but of about 25 guys, uh, 23 to be exact, that have 20 or more goals. Nikolai Ehlers is on that list, second on the team in goals behind Kyle Connor. Uh, so that'll be a big loss for them and one that's not going to be easy to overcome. Now you factor in that Adam Lowry picked up an injury as well. Um, suddenly they've had to really shuffle the lines to the point where, uh, you know, last night they went with Andrew Kopp on the top line with Shifley and Mason Appleton, while Blake Wheeler played with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor. Stastny anchoring a third line with Matthew Perot and youngster Kristen Veselainen. Uh, so it, it really completely shuffled the deck for them. And I think it's going to hurt, uh, hurt them uh, long-term here. Now, is it going to impact their ability to make the playoffs. I certainly don't think so. They'd have to have a pretty uh, steep drop off here and you'd have to have a Calgary team, you know, almost not lose any games the rest of the way uh, to make a run at it. But could they fall to Montreal? Uh, certainly a possibility. And nobody, I think, in that division wants a first round clash with the Maple Leafs. Yeah, but I don't think Winnipeg's looking forward to a first round clash with Edmonton. Uh, the Oilers certainly have had the Jets number. And I watched <laughs> that game last night. And uh, boy, the Oilers were just toying with the Jets. And Connor Hellebuck looked anything but, uh, 
but like uh, Vesna Trophy uh, defending champ uh, with his performance, uh, he was he's been exposed actually in the last week or so, not playing at the top of his game. And this team was was the last team to win to lose two games in a row. They've now lost four in a row in a season worst uh, slump, and it couldn't have come at a worse time. And uh, I think they have to feel a little bit dejected with the way they've looked against the Oilers, and I'm hoping that they can find a way to rebound in the next game because they have to send a signal that they're not going to be the easy out that they've looked uh, in in this particular matchup all season long. They've looked like that for sure. All right, partner, that's our look at the 31 teams and what's new with them. Now it's time to put our money where our mouth is with our DFS plays on FanDuel and DraftKings, and I will defer to you to lead off with your picks on the DraftKings platform for tonight's action in the NHL. Yeah, so for me, I think there, there's two games that I'm kind of keying in on tonight. Uh, the first is is going to be a little bit obvious. Tampa Bay playing against Chicago uh, could be an opportunity for, for a bunch of the Lightning players to get on the board. Uh, so I'm going to take a look at their, their first line here. And, and Braden Point for 6,400, uh, Andre Palat for 5,500, relatively discounted options. And then uh, Barry Boulay. I think is a, is a good option. He only comes in at 2,700. Yes. You know, the scoring numbers aren't really there, um, but he did finally get a goal in the, in that win over Columbus. And I think that could be a sign of some things to come for him. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity to use him because he's not going to cost you a lot. And again, you get to stack the entire line uh, across the board there for, for Tampa Bay. The other team I'm looking at similar situation two high price guys, with a cheaper third player on their wing. And that's going to be Mika Zabinijad with the Rangers. They're going up against the Buffalo Sabres. Again, uh, going high-low in terms of teams playing, you know, the bottom. Zabinijad comes in at 8,100. Pair him up with Pavel Buchnevich for six, uh, or seven thousand rather. And then round it out uh, with Alexis Lafreniere, who, again, he's had a bit of a, a slow start to the season. But 30. 30- 300 as a top line uh, player with those two guys. I think it's hard to imagine uh, him going an extended, you know, time without picking up a point. He has three points in his last two games. So a little surprising that the salary hasn't jumped up a little bit there. Uh, Outside of those two lines that I'm stacking up, I'm going to look to defense and, and really just one game that I'm looking at. Uh, Mike Matheson has been playing uh, probably some of his best hockey in a very long time for the Penguins right now. Comes in at 3,200, uh, very cheap option here, and has had decent production uh, of late. You look, uh, you know, two points in his last four games. You know, he's not blowing the doors off, but he's had a couple of multi-point games in, in his last uh, last couple, and I think it's a good opportunity for him to pick something up. Conversely, I like Charlie McAvoy for 5,500. Look, this will be a Boston team that's going to be motivated after getting shut out in the previous game with Pittsburgh. Uh, I was tempted to maybe use some of their, their more offensive uh, contributions, perhaps looking at the perfection line tonight. I think an argument could certainly be made for them wanting to storm back. But for me, I'm going to take two defenders on opposite sides of the puck here. And in the nets uh, for me, you know, I just didn't want to pay up for uh, likely Vasilevsky or or Curtis McElhinney. If he gets to start, uh, Shesterkin doesn't save you a ton more, but a little bit more savings at 8,300, and obviously a prime matchup at home facing the Buffalo Sabres. 
I'm going to agree with you, and that's where I'll start with my picks on FanDuel. Alex Shesterkin, and he won for me last week when we did this show. He was a key part in putting together a winning lineup again, and I throw him in there for $8,200 against a Buffalo team that is clearly overmatched when you look head-to-head, and uh, I think the Rangers still have something to play for here, and uh, they'll play like it tonight in, the vic- in, in uh, I think, an easy victory over the, the visiting Sabres. I don't have a stack in my lineup today, but I do have the two big boys in Florida dotting the top of my picks and then a grab bag of players that are in good matchups, and I'll explain all of those situations as we go through it. Alex Barkoff, I I said I'd use the dynamic duo in in Florida. They're not playing on the same line, but I expect them to do well offensively and then get together maybe on a power play goal or two in tonight's matchup against Nashville, so they could both have big nights. Barkov in there for $8,000, my most expensive player on the forward and the forward ranks and my most expensive winger in Huberdeau at 7400 From there, I go down a notch and I find Jack Hughes at center for New Jersey against a Flyers team that is in disarray right now, and I'm counting on a cheap value play to come through for me there. Hughes has averaged just under 10 fantasy points per game coming in at $4,900 tonight. Taylor Hall goes again to your favorite club tonight. I like the way he's fit in in Boston on that second scoring line. He'll avoid the top checking units of the of the Penguins, Penguins, and I think he has a chance to pad his offensive totals, which have been fairly impressive since he donned the Bruins colors, and I get him for only $6,400, so sign me up. The remaining forwards on my team are Andrei Svechnikov, who's been a top-line winger for the uh, Carolina club all season long and I guess that they're in a tough matchup tonight but I do expect him to play first line minutes with Sebastian Ajo and at $5,500 I find that a very good value and uh, in Tampa I gotta grab somebody from that lineup as you suggested they have a good matchup against Chicago I fit Andre Pilat into the lineup he's playing first line minutes with Braden Point both these guys are red hot right now and I get Pilat for 5900 bucks to round up my forward compliment on the back end I look for value around the $4,000 mark I found two guys Ryan Ryan Ellis, as I mentioned, is playing very well for Nashville, playing a lot of minutes and averaging 10 plus points per game in DFS play. I get him for only four grand, so I'll take that. And then I rounded out with Miro Heiskanen at $4,400. I think this guy's playing his best hockey of the year right now, and I think he's underpriced at this point. And so I'm pretty confident with my with my goal, my defenseman picks. I already told you Shesterkin is backing them all up. I expect to be in the pay window once again. AJ had a great year in, in FanDuel play all season long and uh, happy to talk about our picks every week in this slot. Very excited, too, about the fact that we're nearing the playoffs, and uh, I want your comments before we go on off the air for this week. Uh, what do you got to say as a closing thought? Well, what I'll bring up is, is something that maybe didn't get as much attention up your way, Paul, but uh, the NHL announced that they have two new partners uh, when it comes to game broadcasts here in the United States. The first one was ESPN that came out a little while ago, um, which includes the fact that they'll be closing up uh, the NHL Game Center, the, the online streaming platform, and those games will move to ESPN+, Plus, which is a big win there. The other partner that was announced yesterday is Turner uh, Sports, or Turner Broadcasting, which means games could be headed to the likes of T- TNT, TBS, Uh, There is a potential link to HBO Max as well. But the big uh, important part is between these two deals, the NHL is expected to be bringing in about $625 million a year in broadcasting rights, which is nearly true to NBC for the last 10 years. So, and I think it's good 
uh, for the league to have those increased revenues. Uh, and certainly, I think uh, a big announcement that NHL games will not be on NBC for the first time in, in over a decade. Certainly big news on the broadcast front, and thanks for bringing it out, AJ. Uh, they're going to have to find ways to get creative with the money, and hopefully they'll be playing in front of uh, full houses again next season. We certainly hope for that to be the case and uh, look forward to that. But certainly we got the playoffs around the corner here, and as we look forward to future episodes, our thoughts are going to be uh, mixed in with playoff anticipation, and certainly you can look forward to playoff previews once the postseason does get uh, underway. That wraps up our look around the league. Thanks for listening to Podcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's signature, uh, uh, signature fantasy hockey podcast. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.